though American Jews have been out front in the struggle against that genocide as well. The truth is that American Jews have a proud history of speaking out about things that happen in countries in which we do not live. So why exclude the foreign country, Israel, about which we care the most? Secondly, American Jewish organizations sometimes claim that they can't criticize Israeli settlement policy because a Palestinian state might imperil Israeli security. As it happens, that pos position puts them at odds with the vast majority of Israel's former top security officials, since every former head of the Mossad and Shin Bet, Israel's internal and external security services, who have publicly spoken, and every former head of the Israeli military except one, publicly favors a Palestinian state near the 1967 lines. But even if you think those security officials are wrong, and that Israel needs to maintain military control of the West Bank for security reasons, that still doesn't justify paying Israeli civilians to move to the West Bank. After all, if the Arab countries were, God forbid, to invade Israel again across the Jordan Valley, having remote civilian settlements scattered throughout the West Bank would be a security nightmare for the Israeli Defense Forces. So even on their own terms, the arguments that American Jewish organizations offer for their silence don't, I think, make very much sense. The real answer for this silence, I believe, goes deeper. It has to do with the way American Jewish leaders see and describe the Jewish condition. The only kinds of threats to Israel that American Jewish leaders feel comfortable discussing are threats from outside, from global anti-Semitism, from Iran. Protecting against those threats is basically their business model. They are most comfortable discussing these external threats, I believe, because doing so fits into the familiar narrative of Jews as a weak, menaced, and reviled people. Indeed, to listen to American Jewish leaders is to believe that fundamentally the Jewish condition has not changed since the middle of the 20th century. In 2009, the Anti-Defamation League's Abraham Foxman said that, quote, global anti-Semitism is reaching a peak this year that we haven't seen since the tragic days of World War II. In 2010, Malcolm Holmline, the powerful executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, gave a speech entitled, quote unquote, is it 1939, question mark. Is it 1939, question mark. At the core of the American Jewish community's unwillingness to accept that, the Jew that even though we still face external threats, that the Jewish condition has fundamentally changed. The unwillingness to, re uh, the unwillingness to recognize that today, some of our deepest challenges stem not from weakness, but from power. Consider the way American Jews discuss our holidays. You know, there's a joke that every Jewish holiday has let's eat. Um, uh, the reason you're laughing is that's the way American Jews actually retell our holidays. Purim, and they'll say, oh yeah, sure, I know the story of Purim. Haman tried to kill the Jews of Persia, but Esther and her uncle Mordechai saved them, and well, then the story really ends, and we eat our hamantashen, which are really delicious. Um, but that's not how the book of Esther ends. The book of end, Esther doesn't end with Jewish survival. It ends with the Persian king, King Ahasuerus, giving Mordechai the right to take revenge upon Haman's people, and the Jewish community killing 75,000 souls. It ends not with survival, but with power, a very troubling act of Jewish power, an act of Jewish power about which our tradition has a great deal to tell us, yet we don't talk about that. 
Ask young American Jews about Hanukkah. Let us practice Judaism. They oppressed us, but the Maccabees rose up. Uh, they, 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 they created Jewish sovereignty. They rededicated the temple, and the oil lasted for eight days, which was a miracle. And then we eat our latkes, and it's over. Um, but why do we end the Hanukkah story there? The Maccabees became the Hasmonean dynasty, the last experiment in Jewish sovereignty before our own time. It was a very troubled experience. That's one of the reasons the rabbis didn't like Hanukkah very much, because they knew how the story really ended, because they knew what the Hasmonean dynasty became. But we don't talk about that for the same reason we don't talk about the internal threats to Israel's democratic character, because we don't talk very much about Jewish power. And it is this failure to talk about Jewish power, to engage with what our tradition has to say about what happens after victimhood and survival. So I think we need to say something different to young American Jews. We need to say that as the generation that is growing up in an age of unprecedented Jewish power, they have been tasked by Jewish history with a very special and precious obligation. During our long night of powerlessness as a people, Jews spun visions of human dignity and social justice that inspired the world. But only now, in this age, can we learn the true meaning of those ethical visions? Because if the Jewish tradition forged in powerlessness cannot survive the confrontation with Jewish power, if it cannot inform the actions of a Jewish state, then in retrospect, what good was it? We need to tell young American Jews that this Jewish state is their birthright, their patrimony. It was won at a cost in blood and suffering that they can scarcely even imagine. And it was not born to be another Hasmonean dynasty. That was, not Hessel's, that was not Herzl's dream. It was born to live the Enlightenment ideals that Europe had betrayed. We should tell young American Jews that if that kind of Jewish state dies, it will be a stain upon their lives. That Israel's collapse as a democratic project will have as profound an impact on their experience of being Jews as Israel's creation had for their parents or grandparents. We should tell them that in the 1960s, the best of their parents' generation, when American democracy was in its moment of crucible, and that they need to find a way of being involved in the struggle for Israeli democracy, because although Israel may not be their country, the Jewish people are and always will be their people, and their fate is thus intertwined with the fate of that small nation half a world away. People sometimes ask me about the conversations I have with folks like my cousin David, who are angry about my book, but in truth, those aren't the conversations I worry about. The conversations I worry about are the ones I may have to have one day with my six-year-old son and my four-year-old daughter if we let the dream of a democratic Jewish state die. I don't want to have those conversations. I want Ezra and Naomi to one day put up the flag of a democratic Jewish state in their children's room. And that's why I wrote this book. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming. We'll see you at the reception. Thank you very much.